think that Donald Trump hasn't focused on that yet, but he undoubtedly will. he will. Yes, exactly. Yep. If you don't mind, I'd like to just add there that there is actually a fundamental aspect here, and we've been kind of calling for it for quite a while, particularly when the Remimbi went through the seven handle last time towards the 7.2. Obviously, in, in, in communist dogma, speculation is a no-no. So, you know, we, we, do, we, will, we do believe that there will be not an um, accelerated trend. There will definitely be a lot of volatility here to ensure that the street doesn't think it's a one-way bet, let's say. But secondly, I think we've got to remember that there, right now, Domestic, effective domestic monetary policy is paramount for the PBOC, as well as capital controls. So the third side of the impossible trinity is that you can't keep all three of a fixed currency, effective monetary policy and capital controls in place in perpetuity. One has to give. So mm. we've always had the contention that the renminbi will be let go to more market forces and hence you know, we see a further depreciating trend. Okay, thank you for your thoughts there. You heard Gavin Parry, CEO of the Parry Global Group, Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning is... In Australia, first of all, the SX200 is down about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has declined a quarter of a percent. Uh, similar story for the Cosby, also down about a quarter of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to resume its decline this morning here in Hong Kong and is going to open around about 200 points or 0.8% lower. That will take the index to about 23,200. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is a little bit weaker here in Asian trading as well now at $35.93 a barrel. And gold is firmer at $1,713 an ounce. That's it for this morning. Do please stay tuned. Back chat's coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Rachel Cartland. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. The weather forecast for today, sunny intervals, occasional showers and isolated thunderstorms. Maximum temperature of about 30 degrees. And there will be showers in the next couple of days. It's 28 degrees right now and 85% relative humidity. 8.32, Samantha Butler is here with the half-hour news. Police have arrested two teenagers for possessing offensive weapons after stopping them in the street in Shamshu Po. They say the two boys, aged 15 and 18, were carrying several petrol bombs, goggles and helmets. As Mike Weeks explains, police are out in force ahead of expected protests over the national anthem bill. Police say people have been trying to block roads across the city since around 5.30 this morning in an attempt to paralyse traffic. They said nails were found on Wuhu Street in Hong Hom and rubbish on several streets in Chengkwano. There's a heavy police presence around the Lejko building in Tamar following online calls to surround it today when the controversial national anthem law comes up for its second reading. Officers were also seen at known hotspots such as Kaling Tong, Yun Long and Admiralty MTR stations. The National Anthem Bill criminalises behaviour that disrespects the march of the volunteers. Liberal Party leader Felix Chung will be in Lechko for the reading of the Anthem Bill. Last year, on the 12th of June, there were massive people surrounding the Lechko and having difficulty for us to get in. But this time, the police have already made plans protecting the Lechko right now. I think the situation will not be as worse as last year. I think quite a lot of our colleagues have already get into the Let's Go now. 
Four police officers have been fired in the U.S. state of Minnesota after the death of a black man who was arrested and pinned down by his neck. Video of the incident shows the man, George Floyd, groaning and repeatedly saying, I can't breathe. The mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Frey, described the incident as completely and utterly messed up and wrong on every level. Being black in America should not be a death sentence. For five minutes, we watched as a white officer pressed his knee into the neck of a black man. For five minutes, when you hear someone calling for help, you are supposed to help. This officer failed in the most basic human sense. And it serves as a clear reminder of just how far we have to go. The FBI has said it will investigate. And Twitter has for the first time prompted readers to check the facts relating to a tweet by President Trump. The social network has placed a notification under a posting in which Mr Trump criticises plans to expand the use of postal ballots in November's election, which he says will lead to voter fraud. The notification, the notification directs readers to a page with news articles and information from fact-checkers debunking the claim. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Rachel Cartland. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. It's reported that mainland authorities are expanding the scope of draft national security legislation to bring organisations as well as individuals under its ambit. And Reuters is reporting that the legislation will also block foreign judges from handling national security trials and also see both central and city government security agencies set up here in Hong Kong. Well, the chief executive says the MP PC Standing Committee's decision to make the law only targets four types of acts that threaten national security and criminals who do these. In other words, it protects the majority of law-abiding and peace-loving Hong Kong residents. Are you concerned? Will the new measures bring stability or uncertainty? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us and our telephone number is 233-88266. After 9.15 this morning, we'll be talking about the legacy of Stanley Ho with uh, Chip Cho, the uh, columnist Stanley Ho, passed away uh, yesterday afternoon at the age of 98. Joining us for our first discussion, uh, we have with us now John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Joseph Cheng, former Professor of Politics at the City University, and uh, we hope to also be joined soon by Andrew Lung, International and Independent China Strategist and former Director General of Social Welfare. Uh, once again, our email address, bankchat at rthk.hk. Okay, some uh, emails to start off with. This is from uh, yesterday. Uh, Bowen says, uh, Attempts of C.H. Tung, Maria Tam et al. to persuade Hong Kongers that everything will remain the same and 99% of the people won't need to worry is deja vu. We have heard all that before 1997, much more loudly and for a much longer period. The unshakable precedent is that many things may remain or may remain more or less the same for a short while, maybe several months in this case, and then things will start to change. Freedom of speech and, of course, of assembly and demonstration, etc., will be increasingly curtailed. The moment of truth is now. That comes uh, from uh, Bowen. And... Um, 
Candy says, uh, RTHK reported that a Nepalese cleaning lady had a heart attack in a public washroom during the unrest last weekend. However, uh, HK01 and other news outlets reported she'd actually sustained serious head injury and lost a lot of blood after black-clad people kicked the washroom door open violently when she happened to be inside, and she had a heart attack at the same time, according to witnesses. She was in critical condition. The Hong Kong Environmental Services, Logistics and Cleaning Employees Association has condemned the act of protesters hurting this innocent woman and urged the police to arrest those responsible. I'm disappointed that the cause of her head injury was not reported by RTH. I hope that no one deliberately avoided reporting that the black clad protesters have hurt this lady with their selfish acts. That comes from Candy. And uh, Andrew Kay says uh, on the subject of uh, Assistant Commissioner Dover. Uh, is that his title? Is that correct? The, poli- the policeman? Mm-hmm. The, the subject line is AC Dover. Uh, Andrew Kay says, is Dover being given the same treatment as the Justice Secretary regarding land lease uh, abuses? Thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, email address once again, backchat at rthk.hk. Well, I would like to begin by asking um, all our guests what we really know currently about the legislation that is going to come forward. We hear so much about it's likely it's reported. What do we actually know for sure or with, let's say, 90% certainty? Professor Cheng, uh, what do you believe is really definite and has has really been um, firmly announced? We don't know much, really. Unfortunately, some of the statements made by the pro-Beijing United Front leaders, uh, deputies to the National People's Congress, delegates to the National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, and so on, uh, they may be in conflict, and therefore it is very difficult uh, for us to to really know what will come. Uh, There are obviously some very, very key questions that we would like to have answers, including whether the law will be retrospective, uh, whether the National Security Agency personnel stationed in Hong Kong will be involved in actual law enforcement, as well as whether people arrested under the law will be sent for trial uh, in the courts in mainland China. Then, of course, as as you have just reported in the program, there are concerns among the targeted groups like uh, Joshua Wong's political party, like the Joint Alliance, like the Internet media, and so on. So there there are very serious concerns, and we are not getting answers. Um, And at the same time, uh, we do not hear that the Hong Kong government has been involved in the process. Certainly the government has, has the responsibility of representing Hong Kong people, of protecting Hong Kong people's interests in articulate their views, uh, in making representations to the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, uh, which is going to uh, come up with a detailed version of the law. This is the guilty of the Carrie Lam administration. Yeah, one can have the feeling that Carrie Lam has actually been totally sidelined and is uh, as much in the dark as everybody else. Would you agree with that, Professor Burns, or do you think she's still playing an active role? 
been sidelined. I have two observations about, you know, what do we actually know. Mm. One thing we actually know is this approach treats the symptoms, not the cause of the protest, and therefore it will not lead to stability. You know, what are these deep-rooted social and economic problems that uh, people keep referring to vaguely? They don't say. The other thing we know is that this law is being drafted by the Chinese Communist Party, and we know that the party's view is that its policy is correct and that dissent is not legitimate expression of individual interests. It is sabotage, and um, and it's not political participation, but it is state subversion. Now, this is this is a, this is the mindset of the people that are drafting this law. This is not speculation. This is official policy. This is official practice on the mainland. So, I mean, we do know these things. A very illiberal record on this in this regard. So, I would expect. You know that we that this would have an impact on what is drafted, uh, and the people that will be consulted will be the Politburo members, the Central Committee members, Mr. Lo Hui Ning, the uh, people in the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. That's where the consultation will come, and Carrie Lam will just have the thing slapped down on her table. I mean, one could almost say that there's certainly conservative groups in Hong Kong who would actually welcome this point of view, wouldn't they, Professor Cheng? That they too believe that um, that this free-ranging discussion and dissent is, is not to be encouraged. Exactly, I, I do agree with John Burns that uh, the a very very important issue at stake is that. Um, the whole United Front, the whole uh, establishment in Hong Kong, as well as the Chinese authorities, are say are saying that ah, what went wrong in the uh, in the second half of last year had to do with uh, the things that they would like to have targeted uh, for a long time, including all oh, the education system, mm. the pro-democracy political parties. Or probably RTHK will be included and so on. And they are saying we must do something against these things, uh, these organizations, these issues. There is a total lack of self-reflection. Obviously, when you have a political turmoil of this nature, there must be something wrong with the government that the government's policies, that the government's performance have not been able to meet the, uh, the demands of the people, that they are very unhappy, that they are very dissatisfied, and the apparent calm which lasted in, say, 2017, 2018, first half of 2019, finally uh, burst out in the second half of 2019. Uh, and as John Burns has said, there is no attempt to to study the issue, to examine what caused all this anger, this dissatisfaction among Hong Kong people, especially among young Hong Kong people, even those who 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 are now in the elite um, high schools, in the universities, which who are supposed to have a bright future ahead. I mean, they they are already in the uh, in the right track. 
Uh, and yet we have all this anger and dissatisfaction, and there's no way, no no attempt to to examine the issue. Even the original, the earlier promise of setting up an independent review commission has now been given up. <laughs> yeah, because apparently everybody's too scared <laughs> no, to. No one. to <laughs> Rachel, would you be tempted to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I believe in living dangerously, but uh, I don't think I will ever 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 be asked to do anything in current present-day Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. but, but isn't this, uh, you know, using intimidation and fear, this is exactly what uh, the policy appears to be, rather than focusing on these deep-rooted social and economic problems, and by the way, political problems. So it isn't just economic and social. So I think that these are things we know. And so, yes, the the government and uh, the United Front can speculate about what will be the content of the uh, law and how the law will be implemented, but it's sheer speculation, nothing more. As Carrie Lamb said, well, you have the freedom to do this and that for now. Okay. Mm. Yes, and, and, well, the whole approach has been one of no dialogue, no attempt at reconciliation, no concessions to the protesters, to the pro-democracy movement, and under such circumstances, a crackdown, suppression, would be the logical outcome. And, and we, we now know that, in fact, the decision to implement such a national security law was made last October, October last year, in a plenary meeting of the Central Committee of the, media, of the party. So it has been, well, it had been quite a well-kept secret the decision was made last October. We haven't seen that either. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't know. <laughs> Apparently, even our very competent journalists have not been able to tell us uh, this information. All right, uh, Andrew Lang, uh, good morning okay, to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's my turn, right? Yes, your turn. <laughs> Okay, thank there you, you very much indeed, and, and it's nice to hear uh, all this um, uh, insight um, from, um, from our other guests. Uh, I think the first thing I'd like to make is that if this is a national law, uh, a national law addressing the concerns of national security uh, and also the deep-seated um, kind of uh, barriers against um, solving Hong Kong's long-term problems, because all this radicalism um, and then uh, resorting to violence and bordering on um, some, some of them, uh, uh, bordering on terrorism. So I think that Beijing, after all these years, uh, has become extremely worried because, uh, let's face it, one country, two system, uh, one country um, um, is felt in Beijing, has been hollowed out. Um, there is um, uh, erosion of the idea of uh, nationhood. Uh, there is also the um, uh, kind of development uh, of anti-Beijing. It's not just anti-Hong Kong government. I mean, of course, um, uh, this is allowed. Uh, but anti-Beijing, not just words. I mean, um, uh, Hong Kong still has a very vibrant um, Chinese uh, anti-Beijing press. Um, I don't think that Beijing would be um, worried about that, but I'd like to talk about that later on. Um, but I think that the, this uh, worry that the national uh, security is being increasingly threatened at a time of um, an ethical uh, rivalry 
with um, some of the well, with the world's um, um, uh, leading superpower. Um, so I think that the um, and, and also the last years all these uh, uh, protests uh, moving into total breakdown of law and order, um, and when we only saw it only you know, a, a couple of days uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, and there's um, vandalism and, and lynching, public lynching uh, of people. So I think that the, the, the feeling in Beijing is that without law and order, uh, it's very difficult for uh, Hong Kong to address um, the deep-seated uh, problems. Uh, Hong Kong is not stupid. I mean, Beijing is not stupid in, um, uh, in the sense that they are not aware uh, of the deep-seated problems. In fact, the uh, leadership has already expressed um, um, concerns about these problems, but the, the point is that these problems cannot be addressed when there is a total breakdown of law and order, when, when China, fe uh, Beijing feels threatened uh, by all these... Um, um, uh, are you saying they've got to deal with this first and then they can address the deep yeah, well, okay, problems? Well, then, then that's the, the other point. Uh, I'd like to follow up as to how this is going to be implemented. Um, and I think that you can hear uh, some sort of direct statements uh, from the leadership, um, although there are no details, but they have a, um, there are a number of assurances. But, of course, it's a question of uh, one can trust these assurances. Uh, the, the one of the assurances is, 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 of course, that the Hong Kong's laws uh, would be um, respected, including our judiciary. So it seems that the, um, the uh, infringe, infringements are likely to be enforced in Hong Kong. Uh, as to the reference uh, of, of trial in, in China, I think that this is, uh, really uh, would contradict um, the intention of enacting this law in Hong Kong. Um, if it's uh, going to be tried in China, they, they, may, they may as well you know, just, uh, 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 not uh, apply this law, uh, extend this law in Hong Kong through Article 3. Now, the, um, uh, I think the likelihood is that the enforcement will be in the hands of the Hong Kong police force. Yeah, uh, you're back let's, into let's forget, let's it's, forget, it's um, likely. Uh, my former colleague Rachel would remember uh, that during the colonial times, there was this special branch. Now, I had, um, 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 uh, of course, um, 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 uh, know more about the special branch uh, than other uh, former colleagues in the sense that I was in the, although I was in the civilian uh, uh, wing uh, of the Royal Hong Kong Police Force, um, even before the handover shortly. So I, I know that the special branch at that time uh, operates uh, to enforce, amongst other things, British national security. Yeah. Uh, responsible to London, um, 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 not entirely to the government of Hong Kong. So I think that this is likely to be um, a template um, for the law enforcement agency to be to be to be established. Okay, Joseph Chang, you wanted to respond? Yeah, I would just like very briefly respond to uh, Andrew's point about assurances and his confidence in such assurances. Very recently, there has been a reinterpretation of Article 22 of the Basic Law, now giving the, uh, the a monitoring role of, on Hong Kong to the centralized office and the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. Apparently, our government, including the uh, Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Secretary, had to produce three versions of his understanding <laughs> of the article within yeah. a few hours in one evening. 
So I'm not talking about ordinary people like me. I'm talking about the most senior civil servant, uh, the most senior government minister who is supposed to understand the basic law and implement the basic law. He is at a loss so much so for the assurances, so to speak. Now, um, we all know that the Chinese authorities are no and not stupid. We agree on that perfectly. They are extremely sophisticated. And again, we remember that round about 2003, July the 1st, after the surprise, tremendous turnout in the protest rallies, it was admitted within the pro-Beijing United Front circles among Hong Kong officials, uh, among Chinese officials responsible for Hong Kong affairs and so on. They said that, ah, Hong Kong has returned to China, but the hearts of Hong Kong people have not returned. And they, the, the conclusion was supposed to lead to attempts to bring back the hearts of Hong Kong people. But now this crackdown, this suppression certainly will not bring back the hearts of Hong Kong people. Since then, we know that the hearts of Hong Kong people, especially the hearts of young people, have been drifting away, uh, further and further away. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that they never seem to blame the Hong Kong government. They don't blame Carrie Lam. They don't blame the police force for not being able to control the situation. Do you think that in Beijing there is a genuine belief that this is all manipulated by foreign forces, which are so often mentioned? Well, um, uh, if you're asking me, um, mm. I think that's not only um, um, a kind of speculation, it's a firm belief that, of course, it's the whole, not the whole uh, movement, the whole anti-government movement is, has been instigated by foreign forces, but at least um, <coughs> there are sufficient manifestations uh, that uh, hostile foreign forces are involved, at least in aiding and abetting and supporting um, um, the whole movement, including, I mean, although they, they do not, uh, uh, no one uh, would uh, in their right mind, as far as governments, foreign governments, uh, to condone this uh, acts of violence, but they are part and parcel uh, of this very forceful um, kind of um, activities threatening China's national security. Now, I'd like to respond to um, my friend um, um, just now, just uh, two, two, two points about the, um, um, the uh, constitutional affairs uh, um, uh, uh, branch at the Bureau, the, the Secretary Patrick. of Constitutional yeah. Affairs, um, uh, 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 kind of dancing around or changing the, <laughs> the statements. Now, this is, a, of course, a huge embarrassment uh, to Carrie Lam and, and also to Beijing. But then the fact remains that right from the start, I think Beijing's understanding of one country, two system. Um, has not has not um, wavered in the sense that um, I think there may be a, 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 a lull uh, in this kind of appreciation because um, immediately after the handover, let's not let's not remember, Beijing almost bent backwards to ensure uh, that there is no perception of interference and the uh, visits of uh, Chinese officials were tightly controlled. But then over the years, um, the, the two places have been increasingly intertwined, free for people, businesses, um, and also um, um, uh, capital in a way. And then um, the, uh, there was a crash of identity, which inevitably followed. But that, that's okay. But even up with the crash of identity, um, even as uh, late as March this year, 
the uh, Heritage Foundation still confirmed that Hong Kong still re remains number two uh, in the index of economic freedom, but of course you can't have economic freedom uh, without the rule of law. And then um, in the index of economic freedom, um, in the rule of law, uh, including government integrity, judicial, judicial Mr. Lang, in the world, the world justice project. Uh, you just reminded me, the world justice project yeah. is often cited as a, you know, as, as a proof of uh, the rule of law in, in Hong Kong uh, by the administration. But it's the same, it's the same world justice project which rates uh, China as one of the worst in the world and points out that there is no check and balance, that the rule of the government is completely untrammeled and the but government China, can though. do completely what it wants. I know. And so to have laws dictated by the mainland, by that country, applying to Hong Kong... It's sort of upside down, Don't you see it? people well, might I mean, be a little bit worried? It depends on how the law is enforced in Hong Kong, as I said. Certainly. If, if that the uh, firewall is sufficiently strong in the sense that any charges must be based on concrete evidence, must not be based only on verbal... But to, uh, for example... But, but, to, but to say really that any but to yet. say that any fears about that are uh, malicious or or attempts to vilify or smear the mainland government, um, you know that's not that doesn't all go well, does it? That well, sounds... obviously, it really depends on the um, um, uh, the kind of safeguard in Hong Kong, especially mm. in the judiciary. Now, the judiciary, uh, Hong Kong judiciary, is internationally respected. And so uh, this is really um, uh, the goalkeeper in Hong Kong. And that's very important. I agree. If, if, if the judiciary is uh, independent... Yeah, OK, John Burns, yeah. Is that, uh, that would, that would uh, spell... John Burns, very briefly. Sorry, 30 yeah. seconds, John Burns. I mean, I would like to hear from Andrew what these deep-seated social and economic problems are. Nobody's talking about this. Hmm. Uh, OK, are you able to stay with us after 9 o'clock, John Burns? I'm not. Okay, right. Another time. Another time. Yeah, uh, another time. Uh, thank you very much. In, in the meantime, John Burns, Emeritus Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. We'll continue the discussion after the news uh, at nine with Joseph Cheng and Andrew Lung and also Chip Cho joining us to talk about Stanley Ho, uh, who died yesterday. The weather forecast, sunny intervals, occasional showers and some isolated thunderstorms today. Maximum temperature uh, about 30 degrees with light winds and the outlook more showers in the next couple of days. 29 degrees now and the relative Humidity is at 81 percent. Into the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Wednesday morning with Rachel Cartland and me, Hugh Chiverton, continuing to talk about aspects of the national security law and uh, the question of uh, freedoms uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, we have with us now Joseph Cheng, former professor of politics at the City University, and Andrew Leung, international and independent China strategist and former director general of social welfare. Later, Chip Cho joining us uh, to talk about uh, Stanley Ho, um, who uh, died yesterday at the age of 98. Uh, as ever, we want to hear from you, backchat.rthk.hk, uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page, that's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3, or you can give us a call, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. Okay, let's see some comment from Facebook. Uh, TC says, a simple logical point, 12 months ago, Carrie Lam was unsuccessful in convincing most of Hong Kong that the extradition law amendment doesn't affect one country, two systems. How does her explanation 
information about the national security legislation, this time going to be convincing. I understand that most Hong Kongers are forgetful, but not that forgetful. Uh, and Zach says, Dear Backchat, what do you mean by personal freedom? Gerhardt says, as for Carrie Lam's assurances, how does one enact a sedition law without infringing on basic freedoms of press, assembly and speech? As already been mentioned, many countries have dropped this law because they already have a democracy in place where the power resides with the people through their right to vote. What China is saying is the CCP or government is the supreme power which exists above the law and anybody who tries to say anything against their right to rule will be punished. How can that work? Laws are supposed to assure the public of safety and a level playing field for all. Laws are not meant to be a political instrument justify the existence of an autocratic system. Beijing confuses rule of law with rule by law, which is the major difference between the Hong Kong and China legal systems. In Hong Kong, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty, whereas in China, you are found guilty and you have to prove your innocence. So for Carrie Lam to say you'll still have your freedoms makes no sense whatsoever. That comes uh, from uh, Gerhard. Uh, and uh, Vic says, uh, Dear Backchat, Beijing and cronies, quote, without national security, we cannot address the deep-seated problems. Democrats, quote, without universal suffrage, we cannot address the deep-seated problems, unquote. What a load of horse manure. No wonder the politics in Hong Kong stinks. Um, Peter says Joseph Cheng and John Burns mixing up cause and reaction they and the pandems abdicated from the political process long time ago through their antics, filibustering and open support for the rioters, violent acts and asking foreign governments to intervene in Hong Kong's political process enacting national security law in Hong Kong is a long outstanding duty the pandems blocked for decades they should acknowledge that they need to work together with Beijing not against it and that Beijing has legitimate legitimate national security concerns, especially now as the US openly labels China as an adversary, trying to contain China by any means at its disposal in a full-spectrum attack, being just short of an actual shooting war. Otherwise, the pandems just reconfirmed that their only goals over the past decades were to create chaos in Hong Kong, destroy one country, two systems, and ultimately start another revolution in China, using Hong Kong and its people as a pawn in their game, with all its dire consequences for China and its people. Just look at Jimmy Lai, the pandemic Dem's money man, who is great friends with the US government and the neocons. He now openly calls upon Hong Kong people to rally behind him to sacrifice themselves for freedom. Uh, from what? With his petition to one of the biggest human rights violators, US President Trump and the US government. Can it get more ironic? Hong Kong is not a state of the US or Europe and is not a UK colony anymore. It is part of China, so that the actual stakeholders decide what happens in Hong Kong, which are the Hong Kong and mainland Chinese people. That comes uh, from, uh, that comes from uh, Peter. And... Uh, Andrew F. says, uh, responding to uh, Bowen, uh, an email we read out earlier, I feel like Bowen may have made a good argument against his own point because I was living in Hong Kong during the handover and remember the headlines and articles in the mainstream media at the time. None of them predicted I'd be able to write into a programme like this 23 years later or indeed be able to read publications like the Apple Daily, some of whose most extreme output would actually likely be censored in most Western democracies under hate speech laws. In fact, most suggested I'd been crushed under the wheels of a tank 
years ago. Uh, all to say that running around with our hair on fire about the, quote, death of Hong Kong because we're finally going to enact national security legislation every other developed country has had forever is deja vu. That comes uh, from uh, Andrew F. Thank you very much indeed for that. Backchat.hk.hk. Let's get back to things that we can be certain about, reasonably certain or whatever. We're hearing reasonably certainly that this legislation is going some somehow or other to be passed before September, i.e. before the alleged co-elections. Uh, would our two guests agree with that, uh, Andrew? Uh, well, yes, I think, I think so, um, because, um, I mean, of course, the, it is not intended to um, uh, target it only and what's going to happen, but then there is a lot of circulation, at least in the social media, um, that the anti-government camp uh, would like to seize control of the Legislative Council uh, so that they can um, um, step up uh, the kind of disruptions, um, for example, uh, even uh, blocking the passage of uh, Futures Hong Kong's um, 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 uh, budget speech, uh, and then um, holding the whole government and the whole society to ransom, and further um, giving fuel to the fire uh, of this anti-Beijing sentiment. And that, in fact, um, I think Professor Tai even published a 10-point plan uh, to subvert the whole, um, not only Hong Kong, but eventually, hopefully, um, the Beijing government. So I think that the um, this is one thing leads to another, um, with the concerns about national security, um, perceived foreign interference uh, at a time of great power rivalry, and then the hollowing out of, of, um, of Hong Kong people's nationhood. So it's not just the, the, the law. And then there the are references that, that the Hong Kong education system um, should be improved in the in, in, in <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, I've heard Hong Kongers in yeah. last year saying, let's, get, let's close all the universities and start again. Well, the students are so that's, awful. That's going too far. Um, <laughs> but I think that as, as far as Beijing is concerned, there is no doubt that, that this is an um, existential threat. Now, I'd like to, um, to go back to, to uh, I think that I should address the whole issue. Uh, the, at the back of it all, at the back of all these anti-government protests, is the Hong Kong people's demand for universal suffrage. I mean, that's promised under the basic law. But then let's not forget um, that the uh, earlier package was turned down by the pandemograms uh, as, as being not democratic. And I'd like to address the question of, you know, what is not democratic. Uh, now, let's face it, first of all, that democracies around the world are all relative. Uh, in other words, uh, what is perceived to be democracy and even term democracy in one country is not the same in another country. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that Hong Kong is not a country. It's not a separate um, political uh, entity, but it's part of China. It's the special administrative region of China. So the Hong Kong, the kind of democracy, must be governed um, by Hong do, Kong. Do you know of any? Do you know of any right. democracy around the world where the people in charge put forward a list of people that you can exactly. vote on? Well, I think this is exactly why the pro-democracy legislators refused to support that package. Mm. We were told that the authorities would provide a, a list of reliable candidates, then people of Hong Kong can choose okay, one of Mr. those Lam? candidates through universal suffrage. That was exactly why uh, it was turned down. Now let's go back to the Article 23 legislation and put the facts straight. 
it was said that ah, because of the uh, attempts of the pro-democracy movement, the actions of the pro-democracy legislators, that the uh, that the legislation was not completed, that it didn't, that it do, does not exist today. Actually, the Sikh Dong administration tried very hard to push through that legislation, mm-hmm. even after half a million people marched in the streets. And it was through the good efforts of James Dean and his Liberal Party that the legislation failed to get the majority needed to be approved, to be endorsed in the legislature. So it was through the enlightened business community's opposition that the law was not passed. And at the moment, even Carrie Lam has to admit that we do not have the environment, we do not have the political climate to push through the piece of legislation. So it is obvious that it is the Hong Kong people, including the enlightened segments of the business community, which have, who have been in strong opposition against Article 23 legislation, that it has not been implemented. Okay, Joseph Chang, Joseph. Facts that very Joseph, Joseph Chang, can I put, put it to you? I mean, times change and, you know, uh, things happen. And uh, we have seen, uh, in, especially in the last year, uh, you know, p- uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets calling for a revolution calling to overthrow the administration of, of Hong Kong. Uh, um, could there be a clearer example of an existential threat? That is a real threat to national security. And what do you expect the, pe- the powers that be to do? Ah, well, I fully agree that the Chinese authorities are very sophisticated, not stupid, and so on. Let us begin with the issue of identity. From no, no, no. Let's begin. Let's begin no, 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 with the. Yes. Let's begin with the reality on the streets, which is that there are hundreds of thousands of people has, involving has, in uh, involved in illegal, violent, on, even terror-related acts. In the street, you see, from 1997 to 2008, public opinion polls have consistent had consistently demonstrated that Hong Kong people's identity with the Chinese nation and their trust for the Chinese leadership had been strengthening. But the trends were reversed. Both trends were reversed after 2008 and declined very sharply in recent years. What happened? Why didn't the Chinese authorities and the, and the Hong Kong administration ask themselves this question? What did, good things they did before 2008 were strained, as Andrew has pointed out. And what happened after 2008? A lot of interferences. You see, you, when you ask people, uh, why, what, what happened last year? You see, journalists and various people have called Xi uh, um, Leung um, the father of Hong Kong independence. There is a lot of political wisdom in this. It was because of his raising the issue, of his radicaling, attacking the issue, that throw that raise all that raise people's attention to the issue. Uh, you see, most people, old people like us, pro-democracy activists, we never believe in Hong Kong independence. We would like to seek democracy through the existing systems. But then the young people, they now feel terribly frustrated, and they they do not trust the system at all. That is why they go to the streets, and it is exactly this loss of confidence, lots of trust, 
in the government in Beijing that has resulted in such actions. Okay, Andrew Lang? I, I, I like to address the question of trust uh, rather than just facts on the ground, which we all know. Um, the kind of lack of trust is, um, is because of the different uh, perception uh, of what countries' food systems is all about, and I've covered part of that. But I like to go straight into the question of universal suffrage uh, and the demand for genuine uh, democracy. Now, uh, as I said, Hong Kong is not a country, uh, and then the kind of um, um, universal suffrage, in fact, it was promised by Beijing, not in the Joint Declaration, um, it must be subject to certain conditions. One of the conditions, uh, as you rightly pointed out, is uh, pre-screening of candidates. So you rightly pointed out who would, which country would, would give you a list of candidates uh, so that you can choose which leader to choose. That's not democratic, sure. But then that's Hong Kong because uh, there is a lack of trust between Beijing and um, a lot of the politicians. And then one country, two system, the one country on the one side and the two system on the other side are interactive. What, the, what do I mean by that? For example, at the beginning, if there is a greater degree of trust, then Beijing feels comfortable and, and, and let their hands off. But on the other hand, if Beijing feels threatened, it's likely that they would intrude into um, uh, the kind of space um, that is expected for, for the other, for the other the side. Problem. Now, uh, there is another uh, a deeper All the question. All you ask if, the if, leaders to feel comfortable. You never ask the question, how do you make people feel comfortable? No, 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 no that, I'm cutting to that. No, 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 I don't mean comfortable in the sense of being, oh, there's no opposition. I mean, as I said, Hong Kong has been, is home, still home to a very vibrant anti-government uh, Chinese press. But then, on the other hand, if Beijing feels threatened uh, on its core uh, interest, uh, national security, but that, 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 of course, rattles Beijing. Now, the point I'm trying we to get at... We keep talking about Beijing. We never talk about Xi Jinping. If, if, if but surely something depends on his personality yeah. and his way of ruling things. I mean, frankly, you know, through the earlier years, the Zhang Ziming years and so on, people did feel more comfortable. Isn't there a link with what Xi Jinping is doing? Isn't that the statement of serve the people, serve the people, is the writing on the walls in, throughout various places in China. This is what Mao has been teaching the people. Why should people rise up against the, against the leaders? Why should leaders feel threatened by the people? You don't ask this question? Well, let, 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 feel threatened, then they must add, they must I, down, I, I, they I must will address that, 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 that question, that issue in China. But let's come back to Hong Kong. Uh, the point I'm trying to get at um, is, is that it's inevitable uh, Beijing would have uh, pre-screening because of the lack of trust. Now, the chief executive of Hong Kong has, is, is accountable to Beijing, has got to work with Beijing, and has got, above all, to be trusted by Beijing. How can Beijing trust anyone just elected by the people if that someone is seen by Beijing to be, um, uh, uh, to be a shadow, ah. to be a, a, a front for subversiveness? That explains the tremendous failure of the Chinese leadership's policy towards Taiwan. That explains why all people in Taiwan refuses to, refuse to accept the one country, two systems model. Because you always say the leaders must feel comfortable, the leaders must feel nice. You never ask, when will people trust the government? 
This is exactly why the Kerry Lamb has lost total legitimacy. That is why now, in recent public opinion polls, up to 48% of the Hong Kong people say they have zero confidence in well, the Kerry Lamb administration. Well, I that the executive needs to be uh, elected by universal suffrage. But the point I'm trying to make is that universal suffrage, um, first of all, is defined under the basic law. But the most important thing is that whoever elected, whoever is elected, uh, must be... Uh, trusted by Beijing, and, and, and also he or she has got to work with Beijing. So because of that, because of the lack of trust uh, on both sides, um, it is, uh, Beijing feels necessary to, to maintain uh, public uh, a pre-screening of candidates. Now, of course, if there is a greater uh, trust, then Beijing could um, uh, even widen the spectrum uh, of what sort of candidates would be acceptable. But there's still there needs to be some sort of a, a pre-screening in order to make sure whoever is, is elected, um, Beijing can work with right. and can trust. Okay, let's uh, hear some uh, more emails. Uh, Alan says, uh, back chat in 2014, CY Lung loudly stated that he has proof that Occupy was instigated by foreign forces. Since then, he and numerous CCP and United Front toadies have repeated this over and over, many on back chat. Never have they given any proof, never have they given any rationale, aside from a paranoid belief that foreigners are out to get them, that somehow both Obama and Trump both agreed to do this out of sinophobia. This would be the only thing they've ever agreed on. The security law will put this paranoia into law, criminalising any dissent, making local political issues into support of some vast conspiracy by the US to take down Beijing. All this because Beijing will not listen to anything Hong Kong people say. They hear only their own idiotic proxies. This law attempts to silence them. That comes uh, from uh, Alan. Uh, R says, your guest Andrew Lung, I think, said he worked as a civilian for the police, simply skips an important fact. He refers to special branch under the British. Well, it's been superseded by the police security wing. Mm. Let's not pretend there is not already a mechanism to control security. Don't mislead people. That comes uh, from R. And uh, Anthony says, uh, interestingly, British history, especially about how East India Company and Jardine's drug smuggling is rarely taught in Hong Kong schools. Uh, Anthony says, why the masterminds of the pan-demolition terrorists are so afraid of the national security law? Uh, why democratic countries such as the UK and US have national security agencies, uh, CIA, FBI, MI5 and MI6, are they at the foundation of democracy? And if Hong Kong wants to have universal suffrage, they need to have similar national security uh, agents? Uh, question mark. And uh, Bowen says the firewall that Andrew Leung said is so important to the functioning of the rule of law in Hong Kong has been blatantly and seriously undermined in recent years. Most notably, for example, uh, in the NPCSC's uh, interpretation of Article 104 of the Basic Law to, in effect, interpret what declined to take an oath meant in the Oaths and Declarations Ordinance, a Hong Kong uh, uh, ordinance. Uh, and that NPCSC interpretation was made immediately before the case of Sixtus Lung and Yao Wai Ching was to be heard in the court of first instance, leaving no doubt whatsoever as to the intention of the interpretation. No doubt it will be said that this was an exceptional case, but it is one of those exceptions which proves the rule from the point of view of the mainland authorities. In response to the point just made about my last email, we would probably most not have been able to say the sort of things we've been saying in back chat if the national security legislation had been passed in 2003, which was just six years after the handover. The MPCSC would have been able to redefine all those terms in our 
Article 23, including sedition and subversion. So maybe what is happening now is in accord, is sorry, is not in accord with the original script. And that comes uh, from Bowen. Uh, Jay says, the point is people will be much more diplomatic and understanding about this legislation if C.Y. Leung and his government and Carrie Lam and her government had done what the people asked eight years ago. We would not have had any huge rallying, demonstrating or rioting. This is a big incompetent government problem because the Hong Kong government will not listen and are only in it for themselves and their own uh, ego trips. Um, thanks very much for those emails. And uh, one more from, from uh, Drake, uh, who says, uh, Norway is a democratic communist country. Democracy would make China greater. But Andrew is only worried about the toppling of the existing balance. Beijing decries democracy today, which they advocated in order to overthrow the Republic of China. Why? Uh, it's not exercising communism at all. It's imperialism. That comes from Drake. We've been breaking over history during this uh, discussion. So let's bring up something else that happened uh, 10 years ago, 2010. Uh, Donald Jung... Uh, really like uh, leading a negotiation, in effect, with the Democrats, with the Beijing government, uh, coming up with the super seats. Wasn't that um, a, an example to be followed? What went wrong after 2010, Andrew, would you say? Well, I think that you um, uh, flag up a very, very good example to follow, uh, which just shows, at the very least, that it's possible to have a dialogue and it's possible to come to some sort of accommodation. I think Beijing knows that the kind of uh, uh, politics in Hong Kong are very, very different uh, from the mainland, and uh, they are aware that, that there is a genuine uh, groundswell for more freedom and democracy. But on the other hand, uh, they are also they firm, also firmly believe that one country, two systems. You just, you just can't forget the one country. Uh, especially the sense of nationhood, which threatens uh, not only the stability of Hong Kong, but also it could spread to other provinces in China, like Tibet to Xinjiang, and that would be the unraveling of the whole country. So it's a very, very serious matter. Now, what went wrong afterwards, I think, is the, um, as I pointed out, the increasing crash of identities, um, more Chinese people coming to Hong Kong, um, threatening the kind of way of life, bidding up uh, prices uh, of uh, shops and, and changing the kind of uh, scenario, the kind of uh, ecology, uh, civil ecology in, 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 in many streets and, and many parts of Hong Kong. And secondly, um, I think that Beijing, as Beijing um, goes stronger economically and internationally, there is a perception uh, that somehow uh, Hong Kong is living under the thumb. And then thirdly, um, there is also the, uh, the, democrat, the democratic movement has become more and more, um, I wouldn't say militant, but more and more assertive, uh, more and more aggressive. Um, I took part in, the, um, in, a, in a Hong Kong University kind of uh, small seminar uh, attended by uh, Emily, Emily Lau. Uh, that was before the umbrella movement, just a few months before. And I, and, and I thought that the, the, the seminar was well attended by several hundred Hong Kong students. And then, surprise, surprise, the old Hong Kong students were surrounding Aunt Emily, accusing her uh, of um, being too soft on the government. And in fact, a lot of the students asked her, what have you achieved with the past kind of um, uh, 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 with, with this movement? And just talking about principles and so on and so forth. So at the end, um, Emily had to, to beat um, a hasty retreat, as, as it were. But I stayed behind uh, because I, I'm always very interested in to understand uh, what our young people you know, are after. So I talked to some of the young students. I said, well, what do you want? 
um, do you want to start a revolution? And they said, yes. And I said, well, do you think that the revolution will succeed? And then they, uh, they said, well, um, uh, and I said, what, what do you mean by the revolution? He said, well, all means, you know, so, uh, at our disposal, uh, all means to the end, um, prepare to fight to the death. And I said, well, do you, do you think that you will succeed? He said, well, we don't care. That's how the Qing dynasty was overthrown. Now, of course, this is very ideal. That's just, you know, that, that's, uh, that's to be applauded, as, as it were, I mean, in, in some instances. But then in Hong Kong, it's not possible. Um, how are you going to change Hong Kong status? I mean, let's face it, it it's a dead end. Um, you think that um, um, by forcing uh, Beijing's hand, Beijing would agree? And okay. even if Beijing would agree, uh, 1.3 billion people, most of them, or I, I wouldn't even use the word most, I would say 99.9% would not agree. Okay, so, could Joseph Chang, do you want to answer the same question? Very briefly, the pro-democracy movement took the promises made by the Chinese authorities exactly at that time, 2010, very seriously. We were told that we could elect our chief executive by universal suffrage by 2017 and elect all seats of the legislature subsequently by universal suffrage. So that was why in 2013 we formed a coalition. We tried to do, ensure that the pledges made would be, uh, would be implemented. But then people were disappointed that, uh, in fact, uh, universal suffrage meant electing a chief executive from a defined, from a defined list, and that was certainly, certainly not acceptable to Hong Kong. Well, that's the oh, crux of the matter, know. as I was saying, because at the end of the day, you've got to build trust on both sides. If there is a lack of trust, Beijing would insist on pre-screening, uh, because how can they be sure that the negotiations in the early 80s up to the up to up to now so it was not just one minute then uh, we would like to seek democracy it was a promise uh, it was a promise made before the sino British negotiations and it has not been implemented even today so this lack of trust cannot be an excuse how can the leader say, I can't trust the people, I can't trust the people, therefore I must stay on, I must maintain a monopoly of power. This is the excuse given by all dictators. Joseph uh, Chang, uh, do, you ever, do you ever think that perhaps it would have been better to take that unsatisfactory uh, solution that was advocated, that uh, half a loaf would have been better than none, that it might have been a step to something better? Or do you still think that the 2014 opposition was correct? I, I understand the logic. I understand the logic. The logic, in fact, was endorsed by the consular community, including the Consul General of the United States and the Consul General of the UK. But that was not acceptable to the Hong Kong people. And the pro-democracy movement as a whole could not have accepted that because it would simply break up the, uh, the, the movement. And I think all the leaders of the pro-democracy parties would lose credibility and legitimacy. Okay, uh, just to finish then, one uh, email from uh, uh, Andrew F., uh, who says, uh, Hugh, 
By the way, my name is spelled H-U-G-H, Andrew. I'd appreciate if you get that right. Uh, Andrew F. says, Hugh, you posed the question as to which real democratic countries have an election where a list of candidates for us to choose from is provided. I'd say this is pretty much every major democracy. In the US, for example, a choice of two, two that most Americans felt deeply ambivalent about last time given voter turnout. The mechanism arrived at there to pre-select that list of two involves billions of dollars, much from special interest groups and lobbyists. Clearly, a mechanism where candidates are pre-screened by Beijing is far from ideal, but I took that to be a stepping stone, a way of moving us further in a direction we never remotely embarked on under 100-plus years of colonial rule. Andrew, thanks for your uh, comment. Uh, what my question was was about uh, whether there are democratic countries or any democracies uh, where you have a list of candidates provided by the people in charge. So uh, in the case of the United States, for example, uh, if the Republican Party... Uh, supplied the sole list of uh, candidates and the only list of candidates um, that you were allowed to vote on, um, you might uh, think that was uh, uh, not democratic, uh, undemocratic. So that was my point. Um, uh, Andrew Lung, thank you very much indeed for joining us, international and independent China strategist and former Director General of Social Welfare. Joseph Chang, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, former Professor of Politics at City University. We weren't able to get Chip Cho uh, this morning to talk about Stanley House if if he's available um, tomorrow. Uh, at the same time we'll be back Rachel thank you very much indeed thank you uh, thanks once again to uh, producer Michelle Chan the weather sunny intervals forecast for today occasional showers and isolated thunderstorms temperatures up to about 30 degrees and the outlook there will still be showers in the next couple of days 29 degrees at the moment relative humidity 81% the employment support scheme provides employers with six months wage subsidy in two tranches the first tranche accepts applications from May 25th to June 14th with payment to start before the end of June. The subsidy must be fully used for paying wages. No redundancy should be made. MPF contributing employers and those with occupational retirement schemes are eligible. Self-employed persons with MPF accounts at the end of March may apply for a one-off subsidy. Visit ess.gov.hk for details. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. Police have arrested two teenagers for possessing offensive weapons after stopping them in the street in Shamshupo. They say the two boys, aged 15 and 18, were carrying several petrol bombs, goggles and helmets. The arrests around 6am come ahead of expected protests outside the legislature in Tamar over the national anthem bill. Two U.S. senators have introduced a bill aimed at defending Hong Kong's autonomy and say the planned national security legislation is simply aimed at curbing political dissent. Senators Pat Toomey and Chris Van Hollen say the Hong Kong Autonomy Act would impose mandatory sanctions on entities that violate China's obligations to Hong Kong under the Joint Declaration and the Basic Law. And four police officers have been fired in the U.S. state of Minnesota after the death of a black man who was arrested and pinned down by his neck. Video of the incident shows the man, George Floyd, repeatedly saying he can't breathe. The mayor of Minneapolis described the incident as wrong on every level. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for artists and not really for characters. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.
Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. Phil Whelan here with you. Thanks very much to James Ross for sitting in yesterday. We're straight in with dogfights in a few minutes from now. Janice Jensen, of course, from Nevis Animal Speak returns. Live from Fantasy Island. After 10, we're off to California to talk to broadcaster and columnist Tim Noonan. <laughs> 